Hi there, and welcome to Even If, a weekly podcast about standing firm when life is shaking. I'm your host, Kelly Strife. Strife rhymes with wife. And together, we're finding the courage to approach uncertain and unwanted seasons of life through a posture of faith that stands firm and declares, even if he doesn't, he is still good. I kind of found myself in this unexpected, really unsolicited role after Imogen died. I didn't start out intending to set an example. I just started sharing about our journey. And as I was processing all of my own thoughts and my own feelings, suddenly I realized there were people watching and there were people listening and there were people reading. And it was incredible because it meant that Imogen's legacy was reaching people. It meant that her life mattered. It meant that her story was spreading. And I will never get over the gift that it is for people to know her name and to be a part of her story. But something really unexpected came along with that, too. I started getting messages from people, and I am so grateful for every one of these messages. I'm so grateful for every word of encouragement and support that people have sent. I'm so grateful to know the ways that Imogen's life is pointing people towards Jesus in the middle of their own trials and their own suffering. But these messages would oftentimes say things like this. They'd say, I'm so inspired by you. I admire your faith so much. You're so strong for the way you're handling this. Words that were so kind and honoring and appreciated. But when I'd get these messages, I'd often think, right, but you only see what I'm posting on social media, or you only hear what I'm sharing on a podcast, or you only see the parts of me that I'm presenting and communicating. And while all of those things are real and true— You don't see all the times where I'm having my fifth meltdown of the day because somebody got my order wrong again, or when I'm on the floor in tears because I just don't understand why God let this happen, or when I'm asking questions or lashing out at God or the people around me. And as everyone who's walked through something tragic knows, we don't get a choice as to whether or not we're strong. We're simply moving forward the best we can. So I started collecting these anecdotes of times that my grief came out, and sometimes it came out in really normal, healthy ways, and other times in not-so-healthy ways. But I started collecting these anecdotes under the caption, the heading, and you thought I was handling this well. And it was this tongue-in-cheek way of sharing stories on social media. They usually involved meltdowns in public places. That's the most common story that I would share. Meltdowns in restaurants or Christmas tree farms or Target, but they oftentimes showed the moments that I wasn't the poster child for walking through loss. I shared these stories for two reasons. First, I wanted to normalize grief. I wanted to normalize the ways that grief ebbs and flows, the way it bubbles to the surface at the most inconvenient times, always in public, the way it can be triggered by the smallest things, and ultimately, how we can fully trust God and still be left with the natural cycle of grief and mourning and loss. But second, I found myself sharing these stories because I was uncomfortable with the image people were building of me. I was uncomfortable being seen as a role model for suffering because, I mean, who wants to be a role model for suffering? But mostly because I felt like they were seeing the fruit of all that I fought for without knowing the fight. 
They were seeing the victory without understanding the battle, and they were assuming that the revelation I was able to communicate came easily and without setback. And that is not the kind of inspiration I wanted to be. I had to choose faith time and time again. And I think there's a danger in watching people's responses or or watching the way people walk through things and just assuming that it comes naturally to them, assuming that it comes easy for them, assuming that they were created differently to withstand everything God sent their way or everything God allowed to come their way, that there's something special or unique or supernatural about them that we don't have. Is it supernatural? Absolutely. Is it accessible to everyone? Absolutely. Do we have to fight to claim it for ourselves? Absolutely. And when we assume that about somebody else, when we assume that they have access to something that we don't, it does a couple of things to our own faith. One, it gives us a false sense of safety that nothing like this could ever happen to me because I couldn't do that. I couldn't make it through. I don't have what they have. And it lures us into this false sense of security that these things won't happen to us because we couldn't withstand them. We couldn't handle it. And guys, that's just not true. Our weakness doesn't protect us from hard things. Hiding behind our own insufficiencies doesn't exclude us from suffering and pain and loss. Nobody feels ready to face really hard things before they have to. Nobody believes they could handle them before they do. And playing small now doesn't protect us from walking through trials, but it might leave us less prepared when we do. Because it also assumes that the people who are walking through suffering with any kind of grace or faith or hope that we admire are doing it on their own strength. And there's absolutely nothing about me that has enabled me to walk through this season on my own. Every ounce of grace I have to walk through it is from the Lord. Every ounce of obedience to keep moving comes from God. Every iota of peace or comfort or faith or hope or joy or anything else that I have is because God has given that to me when I needed it. And he's equipped me with everything I need as I've walked through this season. And assuming that there's something different about me misses the fact that God will give you exactly what you need when you walk through it too. I don't want you to look at me and think, I could never do that. But I also don't want you to look at me and think, well, if she can, then I can. I'm not the reason you can do it. God is. I want you to look at me and see someone who never would have chosen this story any more than you would have, who's no more equipped to handle it than you are but who has fought to receive everything God has for me in this season and who God has sustained every step of the way and know that he will sustain you no matter what you face too. And man, I want you to know I am not doing this perfectly because when you think I'm doing this perfectly, it seems unattainable for you and you have access to every single thing I have access to. And so as we walk through this Advent season, I've been thinking a lot about how even as public as I've been with our journey, even though I've tried to document things as realistically and authentically as possible, you still only have a limited picture of what this has really been like for us. And I wonder if Mary would feel the same way. 
I wonder what gaps we've filled in and what attributes we've ascribed to her that would make her roll her eyes or throw her head back and laugh. Have we created a picture that seems so unattainable that we can't relate to a woman who could probably relate to many of us? Last year, I had a really hard time preparing for Christmas because I couldn't relate to Mary. In fact, I felt like her story was cruel and unusual punishment for a mother who just lost her baby. I couldn't get away from pregnancy announcements in my own life. And now here was this massive announcement. It was taunting me and teasing me and mocking me. She was a teenager. She wasn't married. She wasn't trying to get pregnant. She wasn't hoping for a baby. She wasn't timing and testing and trying for months on end. She was a virgin, for goodness sake. She wasn't even doing the bare minimum required to get pregnant. And I couldn't get pregnant no matter how hard I tried. And it felt cruel to have to celebrate the birth of a baby that wasn't chosen and wasn't planned, at least by Mary, when I was grieving the loss of ours who was. I don't think I'll ever understand why God gives someone else what we want when that same gift is devastating to them. So last Christmas was hard. But this year, with a little distance and perspective, I can see Mary in a different light. I can relate to her far more than I would have expected because she too found herself in an unimaginable situation, a situation that was completely outside of her control and nothing like she would have planned. She found her future uncertain, other people making decisions for her, not getting to let life unfold in the natural order and progression. Her birth plan did not unfold neatly or on schedule. She didn't get to decide which side of the family met the new baby first or who was allowed in the delivery room or ensure that everyone washed their hands first. She wasn't planning elaborate first birthday parties, but instead fleeing for their lives. And I'm certain that the priorities of that time were very different than they are now. But I'm also certain that this wasn't how she envisioned giving birth to her first child. I'm certain that this isn't how she envisioned starting her new life with her husband. And I'm certain that this unplanned pregnancy did not bring peace into her life. I laugh just thinking about the word peace in the context of a newborn baby, because in the best of circumstances, most people wouldn't describe that season as peaceful in any way. Their lives are thrown into chaos and disorder and at the constant bidding of a newborn cry. There's no one less likely really to bring peace than a crying, suckling, needy newborn baby. And yet that's exactly what Jesus promised. But Jesus wasn't just any newborn baby throwing off the schedule and routine. Jesus' birth literally launched spies and missions and death threats and attacks. His family fled their home, their people, their livelihood. They lived on the run for years, looking over their shoulders and wondering when it was time to move again, when they could go home. Mary navigated postpartum on her own. She learned how to be a wife on her own. She learned how to raise her son on her own. She sacrificed her own peace to raise the Prince of Peace. And I wonder how much peace she found. I don't know what it's like to give birth in a stable, but I do know what it's like to let go of the birth you planned. I didn't have a crying baby keeping me up at night, but I too had a child whose needs I wanted to meet. And I wasn't on the run, but 
I also felt isolated and scared and alone. And if consoling a baby doesn't conjure up feelings of peace, then I can tell you that not having yours to console doesn't bring peace either. I can relate to Mary a lot more than I would have thought. But I'm willing to bet our image of Mary leaves out the moments that she fought for peace when everything about her circumstance was telling her that her life was over, her reputation was ruined, her future was dismal and bleak. Mary was holding the Prince of Peace in her arms while she was fleeing in the night. Let's not assume she had it easy just because her story leaves out the ways she didn't handle it well. She didn't have a hashtag. She had no more access to peace carrying it in her arms than we do now holding it in our spirits. So if Jesus' arrival didn't make their circumstances peaceful, then maybe the trauma we're living doesn't indicate he's not present now. Maybe it's not about our external circumstance at all. Maybe the peace we celebrate in this season has nothing to do with control or schedules or plans. Maybe it's not tied to certain outcomes or smooth seas or quiet, ordinary lives. Maybe it's not about not ruffling feathers or leaving behind a wake. Maybe it's an internal state of being that approaches every circumstance of life with a posture that says, God is with me even here. We will not fail. As I've processed some of the trauma of getting the news that Imogen's heart had stopped and then having to go through with physically delivering her, I've talked to my counselor about it some, and she's invited me to replay those events while looking for Jesus. Not to just replay the trauma over and over, but to actively look for Jesus. Ask him where he was in those moments and acknowledging his presence in the room as those events unfolded. And I've never been able to physically find him. I don't have an image of him standing by my bed or holding my hand or wiping my tears. I, I don't actually see him separate from me at all. I see him enmeshed with my body, focusing my mind so it doesn't spiral out of control, allowing me to focus on what I had to do in those moments, holding my heart together so it doesn't break in two, strengthening my pelvis as I pushed and labored and delivered our girl into this world. He's not there with me. He's in me. He's not carrying me while I carry her. He is the me carrying her. I can't separate him out to a distinct participant because I don't know where he stops and I start. He doesn't come and go walking in and out of the room. He doesn't show up when circumstances are hard and leave when they resume to normal or only come when they're good. He is the peace that dwells in my body, that protects my mind, that lifts my spirit no matter what circumstance I face. And if there's ever a year that feels like a cry for peace, this is it. Yes, we need the peace that flips tables and draws the sword and makes wrongs right. We need that kind of peace. But more than that, we need the peace that passes all understanding that dwells within us when war rages around us and that stirs us to start the wars we desperately need to fight. Mary carried peace in her arms, but we carry it in our spirits. And this Advent season reminds us of the ways peace has already been fulfilled and the ways we still fight for it now. This is the second of four episodes focused on Advent, and I'd love to know how you're choosing peace in this season. 
If you're sharing on Instagram, use the hashtag evenifpodcast so I can follow along or shoot me a message at kelly at kellystrife.com and tell me how you're choosing peace in the middle of 2020. See you back here next week for the next episode.